Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, comrades, and welcome back to the Eastern Border. And my PC is fixed, and I'm doing well with not smoking. And a bit of a political episode this time, because some things have happened, because, wow. Also, well, we had to do a bit of a catch-up on all the other stuff that had happened lately, and personal issues also been disturbed my, my schedule, but, but that's okay. We're here now, and... Let's take a look at what's happening in Russia, around Russia, and in general, over here in Eastern Europe. First of all, I would like to talk about the meeting, the speech that Alexei Navalny and other opposition figures gave in the conference, the scheduled meetup, virtual, of course, in the Europarliament. Basically, the main message was that EU politicians who say that they want to get tough on Russian President Vladimir Putin, they should stop coddling Kremlin-connected oligarchs and welcoming their wealth. That was kind of the main message, but in the end, well, Navalny, if you remember, he survived an assassination attempt with a chemical weapon in August, got treated in the German hospital, still haven't returned to Russia, and according to um, Alexander Nevzorov, another Russian journalist, he won't be coming back because, well, he'll get a bunch of cases on his head and everything. And he and his colleagues and friends, well, from this uh, Foundation Against Corruption organization, um, yeah, he spoke in the hearing of the Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee, and that uh, he also stated that the EU should sanction individual oligarchs as cronies of a criminal state. Navalny said it was a mistake to penalize mid-ranking officials, even if they were directly responsible for human rights abuses, because they do not travel or keep assets abroad. And I'll quote here. The main question we should ask ourselves is why these people are poisoning, killing, and fabricating elections. And the answer is very, very simple. Money. So European Union should target the money and Russian oligarchs. Navalny accused European politicians of hypocrisy by allowing oligarchs who grew rich of Putin's authoritarian rule, such as Alisher Usmanov and Roman Abramovich, billionaires who own stakes in United Kingdom's football clubs, to keep luxury boats in European ports. Another quote. Let me say it very straight, as long as the most expensive yacht of Mr. Ismanov is standing in Barcelona or in Monaco, no one in Russia or in the Kremlin even 
they will not treat European sanctions seriously. They just think that they are playing the European Union. Just tell Mr. Osmanov, Mr. Abramovich, Mr. Rottenberg, etc., etc. Guys, you're acting against the Russian people. You're acting against Europe. You are all of the time advocating that Europe is something very bad. So please take your yachts and get them somewhere to the nice harbors of the Belarusian Republic. This approach will be very effective and very welcome from the Russian people. Also, yeah, uh, just the Rottenberg people, Arkady and Boris, are brothers, and they're two of Russia's richest men, and they're both uh, very close friends of Putin. And, uh, yeah, if you didn't know, Belarus is a landlocked country. That's an extra joke. Another person who spoke was uh, Vladimir Karamurza, who twice was victim of mysterious poisoning incidents. Vladimir Milov, a former deputy Russian energy minister, and also um, the chief economist of, uh, of Navalny's opposition group, and Ilyil Yashin, an opposition activist, and now I think he sits in one of the municipal smaller councils of Moscow, because Moscow is so huge that, well, basically each district has its own municipal council, and he's an opposition activist who, just like Navalny, is faced repeated arrests. And yeah, Navalny called on the European Union to develop a new approach towards Moscow. The basis of a new approach should be very clear, dividing two things. Russian people, who must be welcomed and treated very warmly from European Union, from my perspective, and the Russian state, which must be treated like a bunch of criminals who have just temporarily seized power. So, yeah, those are harsh words, and it's kind of interesting how he went all about this whole situation, because this is the first time when he's actually spoken like this in the Euro Parliament, and I wonder if something will come out of this. The whole hearing was led by Urmas Payet, an Estonian MEP from the Liberal Group, who noted Russia's role in recent crises in Ukraine and Belarus, and accused the Russian government of repeatedly targeting opposition figures. I'll quote Payet here, I'm very happy to see Mr. Navalny healthier and safe after his poisoning. The violent attack against Mr. Navalny is unfortunately neither the first nor the last one perpetrated against the Russian political opposition. Karamurza, one of his colleagues, specifically also noted that he and Navalny were lucky compared to their colleague Boris Nemtsov, who was murdered in 2015 on a bridge near the Kremlin. He urged European leaders to uphold their own standards and values when it comes to dealing with Russia. He said Russian citizens could change the situation in Russia on their own, and they would do so, and dismissed assertions that the West is trying to carry out regime change. The only thing we do ask our friends and colleagues in the Western world and in particular in the EU, is that you stand on your own values, and that you practice what you preach, Karamorza said. That you do not enable and support, in effect, the corrupt, kleptocratic, and authoritarian regime of Vladimir Putin by allowing his cronies and his oligarchs to use European Union countries essentially as havens for the money that they are looting from the people of Russia. And yeah, Navalny told the MEPs not to worry that the Russian public would interpret sanctions against oligarchs as an attack on Russia in general, although the propaganda channels would definitely say so. It's very simple. Just target particular oligarchs. Everyone from left to right hates them. And that is kind of true. Because, well, this speech is kind of influential and quite interesting, as all of this is going to be... A weird period, and I really, really, well, first of all, happy that Navalny is healthy. Second of all, although I like Russian opposition, and out of these these four people who spoke, Milonov is my favorite, as I watch his uh, YouTube channel, and he often speaks about why the USSR fell, and kind of the internal reasons. He explains it to a younger Russian and Eastern European audience who 
might not know all the history because there are a bunch of Soviet apologists uh, that think that everything was just shiny and dandy there. But in general, Navalny himself has a bunch of issues. Nonetheless, you know, after the poisoning incidents and after what has happened to him lately, you have to admit that, uh, indeed, he has become some sort of a, well, leader figure there in even bigger sense than previously. And although recently in Vladimir Solovyov's uh, daily show, kind of uh, in Russia First channel, Solyov stated that Navalny has lost since the poisoning is he won't be coming back to Russia and people are no longer watching Navalny Live YouTube channel. The problem is Navalny isn't making his Navalny Live YouTube channel anymore. He doesn't need to. He's, his colleagues are running the show now over there. And um, although he's not as seen as he had been seen in the opposition channels on YouTube, uh, which report the news and everything happening in Russia, has kind of gained even more audience, if you think about it, because, well... He's um, achieved this martyr status in a way. The fact that he also came back from his poisoning is, well, also notifiable for how the whole Russian society and, and the communities there are viewing him. Although, of course, even among the opposition, there are a lot of people who think that he's an agent of the West and who will undoubtedly be using this um, this speech in, in the Euro Parliament as a clear evidence to how... Navalny is, well, basically being puppeted by the West, how the West is trying to destroy Russia. Which is, well, extremely silly, because destroying Russia would be super, super bad for the West, to be honest. Like, if Russia falls apart, then I don't even know what's going to happen in Eastern Europe in general. For one, everything that at uh, at least everyone in Eastern Europe wants is a strong and stable Russia, but with, you know, more democratic tendencies and Less, you know, everyone being afraid of them and, uh, you know, them, them trying to control everything that's going on through their economic soft power and sometimes, well, very, very brutal, hard power, just like in the Ukrainian case. However, that's the serious part of the news. Another uh, part of kind of more serious news is about how previously Russian... Energy Minister Anatoly Tikhonov, which I've mentioned previously to his close ties to Putin and to how he has also been involved in the Syria conflict. Yeah, he's, however, not as lucky as Navalny and he's running into some trouble. Let's talk about it next. Basically, about Tikhonov, it all comes down to trash cans, which is just weird in a way. For starters, I'm talking about a Gistek, which is an expensive software that compiles information about Russia's entire fuel and energy sector, and it was created to help fight illegal business dealings and tax evasion. Result, so far, has been an embezzlement case implicating the heads of one of Russia's largest technology companies, Lonit, along with Deputy Energy Minister Anatoly Tikhonov. And that's just crazy, because um, everyone's just calling it a trash can bribe case, because, uh, well, let's get to the beginning. There is this guy called Alexei Savin. He was an advisor to the general director of an IT company called Communication and Security Information Systems. And for him, New Year's Eve 2015 wasn't very fun. On December 28th, he had asked one of his subordinates to go to Limoncello, a cafe located next to the Russian Energy Agency, which is part of the Energy Ministry, on Shchepkin Street, where he was to leave a money order for 20 million rubles, about... to be transferred to the account of a company called Triton. This money 
was apparently the first half of a bribe demanded by the head of the Russian Energy Agency's IT directorate, Roman Sherbov. It was supposed to go to Igor Undinsev, Sherbov's long-time acquaintance, by means of the Triton account, which Undinsev controlled. This is kind of clear from the criminal case documents against Sherbov and Undinsev. Alexei Savin himself explained in his court testimony why he had to pay kickbacks to Sherbov. See, in 2015, Savin's company, this ISSB, that's how it's abbreviated in Russian, I'll just leave it like it is, had fought for several months to secure a contract with this Russian energy agency to provide a data storage system for the project of Gistek. I'll get to what that exactly was supposed to be below. And after not being allowed to compete for the contract twice over, they issued a complaint with Russia's Federal Anti-Monopoly Service. After Savin issued the second complaint, a man called him and arranged a meeting to, quote, discuss the current situation concerning the competition. This turned out to be the same head of the energy agency's IT directorate, Roman Sherbov. At the meeting, Sherbov explained to Savin that there was no reason for his company to participate in the competition. Quote, even if ISSB wins, it won't receive the funds, even in the court proceedings, because they'll do all they can to ensure that the final product provided by the ISSB does not meet the Energy Ministry's technical requirements. According to Savin's court testimony, this is what was threatened by Sherbov and his colleagues. Nonetheless, in November 2015, ISSB won the competition and signed a 70.4 million ruble, which was $921,000, contract with the Russian Energy Agency. The contract required them to provide the agency with uh, IBM equipment. Savin had the foresight to record his further conversations with Sherbov about providing the equipment. This included, for example, a conversation in which Sherbov explained the potential benefit of purchasing cheaper equipment made by Hitachi instead of IBM. Sherbov said that his managers objected to the use of IBM equipment due to the fact that the amount of money that needed to be transferred to them as a kickback would be substantially smaller if IBM equipment was used, Savin claimed in his testimony. In an attempt to support his argument with an official document, Sherbov contacted IBM three times requesting that they, quote, prepare a letter on official letterhead stating that the company's products don't meet the requirements specified for the auction, then, well, openly complained that the IBM refused. IBM business development specialist Vitaly Voronin spoke about this in, well, his testimony of this case. Oh yeah, most of the documents are up here, obtained by the Medusa guys, uh, thanks to them, once again, always check them out. Since Sherba was ultimately required by the contract to use IBM equipment, his next move was to suggest that Savin, quote, reduce the cost of the contract by substituting the disk group with lower quality hardware, promising that there, quote, wouldn't be any obstacles to the product's acceptance. The money saved by using cheaper equipment was supposed to be transferred to Triton, the company controlled by Roman Sherbov's longtime friend Igor Undicev, according to court documents. To cover this up, the company signed two agreements for the performance of imaginary work related to commissioning and mortgaging IBM equipment. The bribes were to add up to 40 million rubles, which is 580,000 United States dollars. Of course, after a trial run of the IBM equipment, a Russian energy agency employee composed a, quote, undated statement indicating that the equipment was not in compliance with the state contract requirements. According to Savin, this statement was obviously fictitious and was intended to serve as a guarantee that the bribes would be transferred from ISSB to Triton. Roman Sherbov ordered Savin to leave the money order for the first 20 million rubles, as well as the fictitious agreements between ISSB and Triton, in a trash can in a women's restroom at a nearby cafe. 
he, quote-unquote, made this clear to Savin using various gestures, according to Savin's testimony. The following day, Shcherbov and Unditsev were arrested. Shcherbov was accused of taking bribes, which is, uh, by the way, Article 290 of the Criminal Code of the Russian Federation, and Udinsev was charged with serving as an intermediary to a bribe. They partially pleaded guilty and repented according to court documents, although Sherbov also noted that there was provocation on Savin's part. In June 2017, Sherbov and Nundinsev were sentenced to eight and a half years and seven and a half years in prison, respectively. Alexei Savin acknowledged that the study of the supply of equipment and the passing of bribes was monitored by the police, but he says he never baited anyone. It was clear from Sherbov's behavior that the solicitation of bribes was not his personal initiative, but the quote-unquote general will of the administration. So complaining to the Russian energy agency wouldn't help. Savin stated to Medusa, quote, I contacted the police after I started getting demands to send bribes, and the police contacted the FSB, the Federal Security Service, for those of you new here, that's the successor of the KGB, and organized a meeting with the supervising officers from the FSB's Economy Security Services office. But ultimately, the Interior Ministry took over implementation. The attempt to serve as a supplier to the energy ministry didn't just create stress for Seven. It also hurt his company financially. The Russian Energy Agency broke its contract with ISSB on the pretext of the latter providing incorrect equipment and demanded the company return more than 71 million rubles, well, the entire contract amount, plus an additional fine. In response, ISSB attempted to dispute the termination of the contract, claiming that the statement about the equipment's failure to meet the requirements was fictitious and had been written by the Russian Energy Agency employees as a means of, well, pressuring ISSB to pay fines. Again, quote from him. We supplied the Russian Energy Agency with all the necessary equipment in accordance with the contract, and we agreed with the police that, despite this, we will sign any documents that the employees of the organization produce. Their report is fabricated. The trial court ruled in favor of the Russian Energy Agency and required ISSB to return 47 million rubles, which is dollars According to the court, this is the amount owed minus the value of the equipment that was delivered, but the company has been disputing the ruling in various courts for the past five years. Roman Sherbov was released in parole in late 2018. By that time, security officials had already conducted a pre-investigation review of the Russian Energy General Director Anatoly Tikhonov, but it didn't lead to a criminal case until several years later after Sherbov testified against his former boss. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. You see, at the beginning of the 2017, the Gistec system, for which Alexei Savin had wanted to provide hardware, was supposed to have been operative for a year already. In reality, it remained uncompleted. Tech information system not put into operation in time, read a May 2017 report published by the Russian Accounts Chamber. Quote, The R&D contract worth 607 million rubles has not been fulfilled. The deadline was no later than September 21st, 2015, or more than a year and a half ago read the auditor's statement. The work was delayed by the energy ministry's main contractor for the project, an IT company called Lanet. The Russian energy agency had signed a 607 million ruble contract with the company in 2014, causing a storm of indignation among Lanet's competitor companies. Two other bidders unsuccessfully filed complaints with the Federal Anti-Monopoly Service about unfair bidding procedures. None other than Roman Sherbov chaired the committee that chose Lanet as the contractor. In 2017, after the Russian Accounts Chamber report on Gistec security officials began studying the actions of the Energy Ministry employees. The investigation lasted for three years, and at the request of the Russian Accounts Chamber, a preliminary audit of possible financial abuse during the course of this whole creation of the system was conducted. And based on the review's results, police refused repeatedly to initiate criminal proceedings, which were annulled by departmental control and by the surprising prosecutor. Final decisions of the material had not been made, which is written in a letter written by Deputy Attorney General Yuri Ponomareva in March 2019. Tikhonov and Latnitz Vice President Vladimir Makarov devised a plan. They wrote the terms of reference such that Lanit would be awarded the contract, and then they overestimated the cost of the work. The work completed by Lanit didn't meet the requirements of the contract and quote-unquote led to the inability of Gistek to function properly, according to the investigation. Leaders of the Russian Energy Agency, however, signed the certificate of the completion of the work. And, yeah, again, my colleagues from Medusa obtained two certificates of completion of several stages of work on Gistek from October and November 2015. They indicate that the work was completed and that both sides were satisfied. Both certificates are signed by the agency's general director, Anatoly Tikhonov, and Lanet's general director, Igor Dubrov. Though, quote-unquote, subject to revision, is handwritten on both documents. According to the investigation, the signing of the certificates allowed Lanet to receive more than 603 million rubles for low-quality or incomplete work, and this money was later stolen by the defendants mentioned above. Now, obviously, Tikhonov and Makarov didn't act alone. They implicated other employees of the Russian Energy Agency, Lanet, and other third-party organizations in their plot, including people involved in the previous criminal case related to the Gistek, such as Igor Udintsev and Roman Shcherbov. That, obviously. Now, this time, in this new court case, Shcherbov described the entire embezzlement scheme in his court testimony. Quote, Tikhonov made it clear that the commercial profit made by the subcontractors under his control, which arose as a result of the fulfillment of state contracts, should be shared with a specific person, Roman Rizhkov, who was a direct advisor to Tikhonov at the time. Or rather, as it turned out, not specifically with Rizhkov, but with organizations he controlled. Part of the subcontractor's profit was essentially a kickback, Shcherbov explained. 
According to Sherbov, he introduced Rishkov to his longtime acquaintance Igor Udintsev in order to help him organize a criminal scheme to withdraw budget money. Quote, Basically, I just served as a mediary and expressed Tikhonov's will. Then I left the cafe and they stayed to negotiate, as I understood, about the amounts and kickbacks for Tikhonov, which they got as a result of state contracts. As far as the electronic document containing quote-unquote monetary amounts, surnames, and organizations that was seized from Igor Unincev, Sherbov told the investigator, I assume that this is part of the plan to distribute the funds received as a result of transactions in the form of kickbacks and other expenses. As I understand it, the boss refers to Tikhonov, since that's what everyone used to call him. Alexei Savin from ISSB was familiar with the document as well. Quote, In the course of Udinsev's arrest, he was found to have records of the division of the money stolen under the contract with another company, Resource Service, which contained information about who received the money and how much. According to these records, about 30 million rubles, or $388,000, went to the boss. However, according to Mikhail Vagmet, a lawyer representing Tikhonov, neither documents confirming the crime nor documents confirming any guilt of Tikhonov's part were found during the course of arrest and remand. Mikhail Bagmet insists that the GIST tech system functions successfully, although then uh, there wouldn't be corruption in Russia, if you think about it, because that's the system to monitor corruption. Of course, it does not function properly, but whatevs. <clears throat> and I'll continue the quote from him. And there's a hardware complex under which specialized software has been written. Assessing the value of the work, the creation of GISTEC is not an easy task, since the development process was unique in many ways. During the six months of investigation that preceded the arrest of Anatoly Vladimirovich Tikhonov, the investigation did not produce any expert opinions or opinions of independent experts that would indicate that the cost of work on the development of the program was overstated. I really hate, I really hate law kind of language. At any rate, well, now the investigations are basically snowballing, because now we come to essentially today. The Gistex continued when the case against Tikhonov was combined with another case, which was opened by the Internal Affairs Ministry in March 2020. According to this investigation, Russian energy agency employees used counterfeit documents to raise the price of the equipment to more than 109 million rubles, which is $1.4 million. Additionally, the paperwork for the auction was formulated to favor the company's resource service and softline trade, which are used to commit theft. As a result, the equipment was delivered to Russian energy agency at a deliberately inflated price, which obviously served as the basis for the illegal transfer of funds from the budget of the Russian Federation to the accounts of organizations used by the offenders. Now, obviously, they are both Udinsev and Sherbov have already been charged with violating the law and there was, I think, fraud committed by an organized group on a large scale, but the materials of the case also indicate the possible involvement of the people who are being investigated in the case of the contract with Lonet, including, like I mentioned, the Deputy Energy Minister, Anatoly Tikhonov. This is why both cases have been combined. According to the source familiar with the investigation, there is one more criminal case that could still be referred to this committee and combined with the other cases against the energy agency employees. Since late 2018, the Interior Ministry has been investigating the actions of energy agency employees and two subcontractor companies, Construction Company 2000 and Remstroy, which, according to the investigation, have stolen more than 100 million rubles, which is $1.3 million, while fulfilling a state contract for renovating energy ministry uh, buildings. And the embezzlement schemes in all these cases are practically identical, which is why it's very likely that this was done by exactly the same people. So yeah, this is wow, because this kind of reminds uh, the kind of weird corruption cases that happened in Italy, but Tikhonov used to be in a bit of a better shape last time we saw him. However... Can't really end this a bit again, sorry for 
the shortness of this, but I just literally finished fixing my computer today and everything and a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of issues happening in my life. But I want to finish this on a positive note because, again, these political episodes tend to be a bit depressing and um, sometimes some, a pinch of fun is required to make, you know, your day, dear listener, a bit more interesting and um, kind of funny a bit. So, why not? Let's talk about Hitler. No, I'm serious. In a Russian political episode. Because this is this is something that they do now and then. Usually on the 9th of May, but next one's amazing. You see, sometimes, sometimes things go weird. Because, apparently, prosecutors in Russia's western Oryol region have managed to get postage stamps featuring a portrait of Nazi Germany's leader Adolf Hitler withdrawn from sale. And the portrait literally is, well, there is nothing but Hitler on the poster. According to the head of Karelia-based community organization that printed the stamps, they were meant to underscore the Soviet's victory over the Nazi Germany in the Second World War. The original prosecutor's office, on the other hand, concluded that the stamps violate, <laughs> violate Russia's federal law banning the use of Nazi symbols. And it's crazy. This happened on Friday, November 27th, when the Oriol Regional Prosecutor's Office announced on its website that following an investigation, stamps featuring Hitler's portrait would no longer be available for purchase in the region. The stamps were being sold at local kiosks for 290 rubles apiece, which is about $3.80 or something. They came in packaging stating that Hitler was a war criminal and that contained warning about Russia's prohibition on Nazi propaganda. The stamps attracted attention after a segment about them aired on the state channel television, Oriol, on Wednesday, November 25th. The study underscored the stamps were printed not somewhere abroad, but in Karelia, by a patriotic organization called Zarodino, for the motherland. And it's, it's just crazy. The head of the organization, Vladislav Green, stated that, indeed, his portrait may cause an may cause a negative reaction from citizens, but in this case, it's a genuine portrait from that era, not reprinted for propaganda, and it's presented in the correct patriotic spirit. It is, on the contrary, a strengthening of the heroic context of the great victory of the, over the criminal fascist Germany. And it's just, just crazy, because, like, the portrait is literally, it, it's cast, and, and Hitler's face on it, and Zarodin on it, and it's great, and it's printed in Russia, and this is the reasoning, and it's amazing. Obviously, following an inspection, the regional prosecutor's office concluded, rightfully this time, the sale of the postage stamps really contradicts Russia's federal law on, like, you know, kind of this banning the use of Nazi symbols. The regional prosecutors didn't really specify which particular Nazi symbol was found on the stamps, but, but yeah, it's, it's a Hitler's portrait. Although, based on the image on the close-ups that I saw, it's a Hitler's portrait that does not actually include any... Nazi awards or insignia or anything, but it's still a Hitler's portrait. The prosecutor's office emphasized that the stamps were promptly removed from sale following its intervention. The management of Oriol Spichatje, the company that owns the kiosks, received a warning as did the company that purchased the stamps. The inspection in the Oriol region happened almost simultaneously with the submission of a draft law to the Russian State Duma of banning images displaying war criminals from World War II. Which is kind of interesting, because otherwise I wonder if they would really uh, put Stalin in there as well, but apparently he doesn't count, but whatever. But yeah, in general, if the bill is adopted, publicly displaying portraits of Nazi Germany's leaders, in line with displaying Nazi symbols, will be considered extremism and uh, kind of akin terrorism. Exceptions will be made for images that do not contain any signs of promoting or justifying Nazism and ones forming a negative attitude towards Nazi ideology. And that's all fun and games, but why would you print out Nazi portraits... In November, in Karelia, 
Guys, guys, this is... You don't do that. It's the weirdest thing ever. At least, it was a bit happy. Happy ending to this, in a way, because... I guess something like this is just beyond explanation, but fine. Fine by me. At any rate, see you next month with more historical episodes. My computer is finally fixed, and, uh, well, I hope you enjoyed this political review about whatever crazy events happened, and I don't even know. If they're banned, uh, I bet I bet you'll be able to get some of these off of eBay very soon, because definitely some people are just gonna just grab them and sell them. Anyway, have a great day, and до свидания, товарищ. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.